Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In this interview episode of this podcast, I read through or look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick and give some of my comments, and I'll try to get a little bit of insightful, hopefully insightful, analysis uh, to these stories. In this episode, we'll be looking at prominent author, a story about commuting, a story about, you know, religion, um, a story about work in some degrees, but, you know, I think primarily I, I like to I like to think of the story as, as a, it, it's a playful look at religion, but I think it has a lot to tell us about the commute, and that that's kind of where I want to zero in on a little bit. Prominent author was published in If in May of 1954. Uh, you can find it in the second volume of the collected stories of Philip K. Dick. Uh, so let's just jump into the the plot summary of the of the story. So we got this this woman, Mary Ellis, talking to Dorothy Lawrence, a friend, about her husband. Uh, so the husband is Henry. So it's Henry, Mary, and, and at least early on, there's this woman, Dorothy. And she's praising how short his commute is and that he won't be late for work anymore and he won't be late coming home because he, he, he the minute he leaves the house, it's only seconds before he's in the office. So he doesn't have to have these long commutes anymore. And they talk about this recent revolution in transportation that's made it possible for Henry Ellis, her husband, to travel 160 miles in mere moments. And as they're talking, Henry walks into this round circular hoop and boof disappears. And Mary tells Dorothy that he's instantly in New York. And there's even a conversation here that I think is kind of insightful um, where she's telling, she's explaining to her friend, but she's really explaining it to us, the reader how important technology is to, to human history. And she says, it's incredible. According to someone down in the office, the whole history of civilization can be explained in terms of transportation techniques. Of course, I don't any, know anything about the history. That's for government research people. But, you know, from what this man told Henry, and then it, it fades out. But there's something to this, right? The, 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 the wheel, the domesticization of the horse, the, the canal boom in early America, the... The, sa- the, the rise of the caravel, the sailing ship that allowed Columbus and others to, to settle America. The railroad, which allowed people to move across the continent instead of just going by sea all the time. You know, and then the interstate highway system. Think of, wow, think of the impact that has had, not just on, on you know, American social life, but on, but on literature, right? Philip Dick wouldn't, ex- you know, exist really without the suburbs, which are a product of, of, of the interstate highway system. So... There's a point here that I think you can look at history through the lens just of technology and explain a lot. Um, so Henry Ellis is in a tunnel. Uh, so they describe kind of the transfer. The commute's not actually instantaneous. He has to walk through this tunnel for five steps um, before getting there. So it's not exactly instant, but it's it's a very it's like almost like a compressed like time and space is compressed into you know so it's just a sh- just a quick walk. To go 160 miles. The device is called the Jiffy Scuttler. It's a really silly name for a really revolutionary technology. It uses travel through like the fourth dimension or something. Um, 
So it's not Star Trek warping time in space, but through the fourth dimension, whatever. The, the, the Dick wasn't a scientist and didn't pretend to be. Okay, the Jiffy Scuttler was developed to solve the growing problem of the commute. As more people moved to suburbs, the commute became longer and more odious. And if you've ever had to commute, you probably um, know about this. You know, anything over 30 minutes kind of really wears on you, you know, day to day. Uh, for three years, I had a I had a one-hour commute from from Cambridge, Massachusetts to Beverly, Massachusetts. So it, maybe it was 45 minutes or 50 minutes, depending on the traffic. But that was a big chunk of my day. Good thing I was at the time I was only working, you know, eight months of the year. But this just becomes a social problem. It becomes a problem of resources. It, it's just you know, the time waste, the inefficiencies of the commute, and we all know about this. The fourth dimension, the discovery of the fourth dimension allowed an infinite number of, of, of Jiffy Scuttlers to be built. There's no like limitation in theory. Any family that could afford the money, a thousand credits, could have one. The only downside is that it's fixed. Each end of the Jiffy Scuttler was stuck. It couldn't be moved. So you couldn't go anywhere you wanted. You had to basically pre-design. It was more like like jump gates in Babylon 5. You have to know where your entry and exit points are before beforehand. Now, here's where I really think Dick becomes brilliant for a moment. Is if, you, if I were to ask you, what would you do with this technology if you had this and you could afford one? And it sounds like most families can only afford like one. You know, you might, you might think, well, a place I really think is beautiful or my family members, or, you know, I'll go see, visit my parents or, you know, go across the world or something, you know, have adventures. No, most people would probably choose it to go to work because that's where they're investing all their time. And it's, you know, it's, they're just being the most efficient as possible, but it's kind of depressing that you have this beautiful, wonderful technology and people use it, you know, to get, to go to work. Anyways, now while taking his time walking through the tunnel, Henry sees three tiny people, each about the size of insects. They look up at Henry with shock. They're wearing sandals and brown robes, and they look to him entirely alien. Henry didn't want to be late to work, so he quickly just exited the tunnel and arrived in New York. At the end of the day, Henry talks to Patrick Miller in the research office of Terran Development. He's the one who arranged for Henry to try out the Jiffy Scuttler to test it for any problems. So he's like the prototype tester for before it's being put on the mass market. He asks for details about what goes on in the tunnel and how the transportation is actually affected. Now, he's not really able to articulate his questions and concerns, but he just he doesn't really get answers, so he just goes home. Going back in the Jiffy Scuttler, Henry notices another group of people wearing different clothes, and they're slightly taller, they're six inches, and they look up at Henry in amazement as well. The next morning, Henry goes back to work and sees the small, tiny people again. This time, they were well prepared for its arrival. And they have a, they start to write. They're writing down stuff on small pieces of paper. He takes a look at the paper, and he you know he, he basically steals it from them. And that day, he asks a colleague at the research labs if he can borrow a photo microscope. So this allows him to read it. So he takes a closer look at the paper and confirms that the people were writing something on it. And he uses a translation machine to decode this writing, which turns out to be a series of questions. And he actually spends the day answering them, running them back through the translator into that language. And then 
I don't know if he then has to zap it down to small type too, but I think that's not mentioned. But he does this. He he has this translated back to their these people weird language, and he gives them their answers on the way home. The next day, there's another set of questions on a small piece of paper. He again translates it and again responds. Uh, and when people ask what he's doing, he claims he's corresponding with a friend from another planet or something. Translating and answering questions was quickly becoming his full-time job. At home, Mary notices that Henry is much happier and more enthusiastic about life. And he just mentions he's got a new exciting job at work. But if actually it's evasion work that's really fun for him. It's not going to work. He's having fun playing with these, basically playing with his toys, essentially. Now, Henry begins to ponder the civilization of the people he's corresponding with. They seem to be on a different time scale because he never sees the same people twice and they, you know, they kind of, they're, they're smaller, they, their clothing kind of changes. They're not quite right. And they seem to begin offering him sacrifices. They seem to fear and revere him. And by the fifth time he went through there, they had built a temple to him. He was witnessing essentially the origins of religion developing over several generations informed every few generations with his answers to their questions. Mary is worried that he's invested too much time in this side project. She doesn't really know what it is. Henry insists that this new project is so invigorating and so rejuvenating for him that he doesn't even need to go on vacation. Now, one day Henry is brought before the research team of Terran development. They discover that he's been hiding something about the Jiffy Scholar. Remember, he's the prototype audience. So by not reporting that there's these weird little people and he's been <laughs> answering their questions, it's kind of a, a, a scandalous thing. It's probably even a breach of con con contract. Henry has been hiding, essentially, that the machine is not working properly and as designed. They learned something was up because he was going to the linguistic machine daily. And the language he was translating qu questions from was Hebrew. The people he was interacting with were the ancient Hebrews. They're coming in through this mild white tear in the fourth dimension. Now, why are they small? Well, they're small because the universe is expanding. And so we're bigger. I guess the idea, I, th I think I did some research on this once when I read this story a couple years ago, and that there was this idea that as the universe expands, that we're actually getting bigger. It's not just the space is expanding, that matter and everything else is expanding along with it. So if we were to go back in time, people would be smaller. And I don't know what the current scientific consensus is on that, but that's the idea here that Dick is playing with. So that's why, why they're small. And actually, they would get bigger a little bit over time, right? The record from the linguistic machine shows that the answers to his questions match the text of another book that had been passed down through the generations. They fire Henry, ordering him to take a jet home. This Jiffy Scuttler will be torn down and they'll try again from, from scratch. Dorothy Lawrence visits and Henry gives her a copy of the book uh, that was revealed he was getting the question, answers to the questions from, and it's the Holy Bible. And Henry claims that he had wrote written it, but that he's now actively at work in a new project. Now, how did he write the Bible and five five or six trips through the Jiffy Scuttler, five or six days. I don't know. It's not really explained, but whatever, take it. The idea here is simply that through this time riff, this, uh, someone from the future wrote the Bible. It's a... So, okay, anyway, going to the analysis. Th this story has a lot in common with 
with the story Prize Ship, um, especially with the idea of the expanding universe, the expanding universe expanding the size of atoms, right? So the idea is that if we go back in time, everything will be smaller. And I haven't talked about Prize Ship yet, but it's another story we'll get to eventually. But that's that's the main idea there, right? When we go back in time, everything will be small. In this case, though, it's the ancient Hebrews. They're moving in through a break in space-time made possible by this technology. This explains the nature of the revelation, which came to them at various times over thousands of years rather than all at once. And that's kind of how the Bible reads, right? You have different prophets having their messages, and it comes over time. It's not a one-time thing like the way Muslims believe the revelation when it came to Muhammad, right? It's... It's a process, and that, that's kind of what's being recreated here in the story. Each of Henry's days was perhaps generations or more for the ancient Hebrews. The story ends with the hint that Henry will continue his work in Revelation, but with the Jiffy Scuttler dismantle, it's not clear how he's able to pass on this his next revelation to other people. Now, one subtle aspect of prominent author is that is that the work of Christianity seemed to be dead or relatively unknown here in this world. Yeah, th they know this book exists, but no one really know, reads it, right? They have to kind of really research it. And they're like, well, these, these things look familiar. And they, they you know, cross-reference it, and they find it's very similar to the Bible. But, you know, people aren't reading the Bible actively. It's not in their head. Henry is, in fact, oblivious, therefore, to the fact that he's writing the Bible. I mean, and that's the first thing you would ask when you hear the story. is like, doesn't he know? He, is he just copying the Bible? Does he know he's writing the Bible? Well, no, he's just writing down whatever nonsense comes into his head. And it's because he never read the book before. It's only when he later compares it that he realizes, hey, I, I wrote this. It takes his superior's time and histor historical research to realize that it's matching this earlier text. That's been mostly forgotten. But if you're interested in the preternatural explanation for religious phenomenon. This is a good one. Now, this is not the first time Dick did this. He did it in the skull earlier. And the skull was, how can you explain the dead coming back to life, right? The post-death appearances of Jesus. Could that be explained with a time travel device? That was a thought experiment in the skull. In prominent author, it's like, where does revelation come from, right? It's trying to explain revelation, revealed religion. Especially the type of revelation we, that we get in the Jewish tradition, which is broken up in several, you know, prophets over, over a period of time. It's like, why didn't God give the whole story to Elijah, for instance, and then he gave it to this guy and that guy and, the, and this other? Well, you know, this is an effort to try to give a science fiction explanation for that. The context of the story is rich in commentary on our relationship to work, though, and I think that's really where we can get some more meat out of this story beyond just what the sur it is on the surface. We're sad to learn that most people will use the Jiffy Scuttler. Yeah, it's a prototype, and we don't know how it will actually be marketed in the end, but it does seem that most people will use this to get to work. The commute has become so horrible over time that escaping it is an obsession for millions of people. Right? And as, as Mary explains in the opening page of the story, the history of technology is history. And our social history is tied up on it. And I could go on and on and give you lots of examples of this. I'm sure you could too. Whether this is true or not, though, I think it, there's something to it. I, I don't think you can ever have historical interpretation be true or false. But it's, you know, there's something to that. It'd, it'd be a fruitful way of looking at history, I think. The question, though, of how to get someplace on time is one of the central worries of suburban life. 
how much money and fuel and time and worry and anxiety is squandered to move people from the suburbs to the city every day. Entire industries are sustained by this need. Fast food restaurants, car rental agencies, fueling stations, repair shops, parking lots, road construction crews, highway patrols, roadside or highway off-ramp hotels, motels. Yeah, it's sad that Henry doesn't choose to connect his Jiffy Scuttler to a beach or someplace nice, but we understand why he chooses work, and we'd probably do the same thing. If we had a job, I, I don't have a job, so I might be more original. I, but then I couldn't afford it, I suppose. Now, he was never late for work over a 25-year career with Terran Development before he even had the Jiffy Scuttler. But it doesn't seem he likes the job very much or it doesn't seem like he has much to do. Uh, Rereading this, I thought of, of David Graeber's concept of the BS job. Where, you know, he talks about how, like, in a lot of businesses, there's a lot of work that's being done that doesn't really seem relevant or important to do. He calls this the BS job. It's not even clear in the story what ta Henry's task is in the workplace. We know he's got this job of trying out this Jiffy Scuttler, but he has a, all this time to just write the Bible and investigate his own side projects. Starting a religion inadvertently at first, is actually a means for Henry Ellis to avoid the banality of his workplace life. Even Mary reminds Henry of his early words when he starts to show a liking to his new project. She says, I thought you always said you were nothing but a cog in a great impersonal machine, a sort of, just a sort of cipher, end quote. So it's good to know that in the end that Henry found his true calling as a writer. Now, I don't know if it depends on your judgment of how well written the Bible is, if, if, if he should be doing that. This might be a good, this might explain some of the poor prose in the Bible and the logical inconsistencies. It, was, it wasn't written by God, it was written by uh, a half-brained corporate bureaucrat somewhere with, who was bored and was jotting stuff down. So anyways, a fun, uh, a f really fun story if you're interested in, you know, the authorship of the Bible. Uh, it's a f it's fun. I mean, obviously this isn't true, but or even close to the true, but it's a fun little thought experiment. I, I like, I think it pairs nicely with the skull. Um, there's a few other stories where Dick in this period of his career is trying to get to a naturalistic explanation of, of, of religion. And this is a pretty good attempt at that. And I, but I really like this character, his relationship with the workplace, and what this says about the commute. I'm reminded, of course, of the story of the commute, which doesn't really focus on, you know, how boring it is and how oppressive it is. Sales pitch, which we're going to look at shortly. I think that might even be the very next story I'll look at. That gets a little bit more into the commute, too. So apparently when Dick was writing this, he had the commute on his mind, partially. Um, so I'd have to talk to a, look at a biography to see if he was doing much commuting at this time in his, his life. Well, that does it for prominent author. Uh, it, like I said, it's fun, and I love the Jiffy Scuttler, and I love what Dick does with it in this story. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, please leave your comments below if uh, or subscribe. I'd really love for you to subscribe to this on Podbean or iTunes or whatever other uh, technology you're using. Um, and if you like the Philip Dick Book Club, you might enjoy my mainline series, The 100 Pages at a time where I look at American writers more broadly. Currently, we're looking at j finishing up my a series on Jack London. So there's a lot of good stuff there 
too. So again, thank you for listening, and I will be back shortly with another story um, by Philip K. Dick. That living dies, that living dies, that living